called displaced persons of the last two decades who have carried abroad the provincialism and philistinism of their Soviet homeland. The world of the gift, being at present as much of a phantasm as most of my other worlds, I can speak of this book with a certain degree of detachment. It is the last novel I wrote, or ever shall write, in Russian. Its heroine is not Zina, but Russian literature. The plot of chapter one centers in Fyodor's poems. Chapter two is a surge toward Pushkin in Fyodor's literary progress and contains his attempt to describe his father's zoological explorations. Chapter three shifts to Gogol, but its real hub is the love poem dedicated to Zina. Fyodor's book on Chernyshevsky, A Spiral Within a Sonnet, takes care of chapter four. The last chapter combines all the preceding themes and adumbrates the book Fyodor dreams of writing someday, The Gift. I wonder how far the imagination of the reader will follow the young lovers after they have been dismissed. The participation of so many Russian muses within the orchestration of the novel makes its translation especially hard. My son Dmitri Nabokov completed the first chapter in English, but was prevented from continuing by the exigencies of his career. The four other chapters were translated by Michael Scammell. In the winter of 1961 at Montreux, I carefully revised the translation of all five chapters. I am responsible for the versions of the various poems and bits of poems scattered throughout the book. The epigraph is not a fabrication. The epilogic poem mimics an Onyegin stanza. Vladimir Nabokov, Montreux, March 28, 1962 An oak is a tree, a rose is a flower, a deer is an animal, a sparrow is a bird, Russia is our fatherland, death is inevitable. P. Smirnovsky a textbook of Russian grammar. Chapter 1 One cloudy but luminous day, towards four in the afternoon on April the 1st, 1920- A foreign critic once remarked that while many novels, most German ones, for example, begin with a date, it is only Russian authors who, in keeping with the honesty peculiar to our literature, omit the final digit. A moving van, very long and very yellow, hitched to a tractor that was also yellow, with hypertrophied rear wheels and a shamelessly exposed anatomy, pulled up in front of Number 7 Tannenberg Street in the west part of Berlin. The van's forehead bore a star-shaped ventilator. Running along its entire side was the name of the moving company in yard-high blue letters, each of which, including a square dot, was shaded laterally with black paint, a dishonest attempt to climb into the next dimension. On the sidewalk, before the house, in which I too shall dwell, stood two people who had obviously come out to meet their furniture. In my suitcase there are more manuscripts than shirts. The man— Arrayed in a rough greenish-brown overcoat, to which the wind imparted a ripple of life, 
was tall, beetle-browed, and old, with the gray of his whiskers turning to russet in the area of the mouth, in which he insensitively held a cold, half-defoliated cigar-butt. The woman, thick-set and no longer young, with bow-legs and a rather attractive pseudo-Chinese face, wore an astrakhan jacket. The wind, having rounded her, brought a whiff of rather good but slightly stale perfume. They both stood motionless and watched fixedly, with such attentiveness that one might think they were about to be short-changed, as three red-necked husky fellows in blue aprons wrestled with their furniture. Some day, he thought, I must use such a scene to start a good, thick, old-fashioned novel. The fleeting thought was touched with a careless irony. An irony, however, that was quite unnecessary, because somebody within him, on his behalf, independently from him, had absorbed all this, recorded it, and filed it away. He himself had only moved in today, and now...